Well, it's so good to have you here. And those of you who are joining us online, thank you for being with us uh, week after week. It's, it's great to have you from wherever you are. And if you're ever in our area, we'd love for you to stop in and visit. Uh, in fact, I just met a lady this morning who's been watching online from Huntington Beach. And today is her first week in the room. So grateful to have you as she's moved up here. And uh, Denise, it's good to have you here. I want to tell you about uh, an experience that I had last week, similar. Uh, as you know, this summer, we've been doing some Cornwall pop-ups. And there was a, a, an un- Un, um, unplanned pop-up that happened last Sunday morning between the 9 and 11 o'clock service. I was in the commons and I was talking with someone and I noticed out of my peripheral vision someone waiting to talk to me. So I ended this conversation and this was a gentleman I'd never seen before. And so he introduced himself. His name was Zach and, and he said that, that he um, is actually from Kathlamet. All right, just as I figured, you didn't know where that is. Kathlamet is a little town. If you go down to Longview, Kelso, and then head west up the Columbia River, tiny little town, Kathlamet, he's from there. And he's been watching uh, and attending Cornwall for the last year or better. And, uh, and he was up this last weekend hiking and camping in the North Cascades. And he said, as long as I'm up in the North Cascades, I had to stop and see this church that I've been attending online. And so he was here and it was, it was great to meet him, got to know his story, hear a little bit more about him. He was from Vancouver, Washington, which is where I'm from. So we got to talk about some Vancouver stuff. And I said, well, how exactly did you get connected with Cornwall Church? He said, well, I was on a fishing trip and there was a guy that was on that trip and he didn't even know who it was. And I don't know who you were, but he said, he gave me this link to a sermon you were doing that we were studying the book of Ephesians at the time. He said, and I watched that sermon and it resonated with me. And so I began to watch. And so he's been, he's been attending. And and, uh, I said, and, and so this is like my home church, but but I just wanted to come and be here in person. I said, that's great. And so we're closing up this conversation because there's someone else I was, was going to go to talk to. Him. And he says, um, so I'm going to the 11 o'clock service. And then he said, hey, um, any chance you could baptize me today? And I'm like, yeah, sure. That, that's great. And, then, and, and so he left. And I'm thinking, where in the world? We don't have the baptistry thing filled up in the pool or anything. So I went to Kip. I said, Kip. Oh, uh, we're going to do a baptism today, but what, where? And he goes, well, I don't know. Let's, uh, go to the Sound or Lake Patton or something. I'm like, oh, that's good. And, and then I had this thought. I've got a friend who lives about four miles from here. He has a swimming pool. So I text him. I say, hey, Brent. And if you remember last Sunday, it was a hot Sunday. And on a hot Sunday, his pool is always full of someone, everyone who becomes his friend on hot days because he has a pool. I said, any chance we could do a quick impromptu baptism around 1230? And he says, yeah, no problem. I'll text my wife, tell her you're coming. And, uh, and so after service, um, we went out to Brent's pool and some elders and some pastors and a few others. And it was such a cool thing. I wanted you to experience this summer pop-up that I didn't even know we were going to have. Watch this for about 20 seconds. It is such a joy, my brother, to be able to baptize you today in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Plug your nose. Nah, I'm good. All right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, such such a cool thing, and just love how God is working, and and uh, it's amazing. You know, there's another pop up I want to tell you about, but I really should preach, so I'll, I'll get to that at the end. Okay, if we have time. Well, actually, even if we don't have time, I'll, I'll tell you that the, at the end. Okay, so. So um, to quote John Bon Jovi, um, oh, we're halfway there. All right, we're, we're halfway through. We're looking at this letter called the book of Colossians. We're not halfway there in regards to this series because we're like, you know, 
four-fifths of the way through that. We've, we're halfway through in that we've just finished chapter two, and we've only got three weeks to get through chapter three and chapter four, so we're going to fly through a bunch of that. And today we're looking specifically at Colossians chapter three, verses one through 14. And again, there is so much in this passage. I hope that you'll study it on your own. So much I'm going to have to just fly over, so much I'm just touching down on, and probably should uh, have just picked one or two of the verses and keyed on those, but we'll, we'll look at that. Again, this is a letter that Paul writes to people he's never met before, to a church that he didn't plant, he's never visited before, and he writes them this letter. And many scholars would say that the book of Colossians is possibly the most profound writing that Paul ever did, which is amazing because he writes this most profound letter to what, by human standards, would be one of the most insignificant small little churches in an insignificant small little town, and yet these profound truths. And what I find fascinating, this is the beauty of the living, active word of God, is that while he writes this letter to people 2,000 years ago, so different time, on a different continent, People with a different culture, a different language, a different ethnicity, different nationality, different government, that could not be more different than us. It is so relevant. It's as if he wrote some of these words you'll see. He wrote for us in 2022. It's this timeless truth that applies to us. And the foundational timeless truth that he's made clear all the way through is this epicenter of all things. It's the apex of his message, and that is the centrality of Christ, the supremacy of Christ, and as we saw last week, the sufficiency of Christ, not only for our lives, but for our church, for our world, and for all of eternity. And this who we are in Christ and who Christ is within us and how all of this plays out. And he gives this beautiful picture, this incredible theology about Christ, that, that Christ is before all things, and in him all things hold together. As we'll see today, he says that Christ is in all, and uh, he is, is, is all, and in all. And as we saw last week, that, that Christ is, is more than enough, this message. And it's not just on a theological, it's for us in our lives. So you get to the end of chapter two, and you say, okay, this is beautiful, great, deep, wonderful theology, but so what? Now what? And this is where he shifts, kind of turns a corner in his letter in Colossians chapter 3. And he goes from just all of this great, beautiful theology. Now he begins, begins to get extremely practical, applying it. So what does that mean to us and how we live our life in this world? In Colossians 3 verse 1, he says, since then, since then you have been raised with Christ. This is your status. It's your standing in the family. You are sons and daughters of our heavenly father. You are princes and princesses in the kingdom of God. You've gotten this not because you're so special, but because Jesus has done this amazing thing for you. And because of all of that, he says, now, since then, now this is how we're going to live. And what he's getting at is that your theology must affect your biography, the things that you say you believe, the things that you know to be true, it's, it's got to have a complete transformational impact on your life. It's not just a set of beliefs that you hold on to and think about or just believe on Sunday or, or just have in a discussion. It says it needs to be played out in your life. What you believe about Christ and who you are in Christ impacts how you live in our world on a day-to-day -day basis. So let me just real quick read through these first four verses. And again, we could have, I should have probably stopped here, but there's so much in here. Colossians 3, starting at verse 1 again. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. 
Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Fool's gold, Ron just talked about that. These things that attract us, draw us, shiny, new, squirrel. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. There is so much in there, so much to, to, to tear apart and dig in and, and just feast on. One of the things I love is, again, he shows the centrality of Christ, not only now, but of our entire life, past, present, and future. I mean, he just lays it out. He says, this is, this is what has happened. This is what's happening. This is what will happen. Because he says, you have been raised with Christ your life is now hidden with Christ, and you also will appear with him in glory. This is what has happened. What Christ has done, his death and resurrection, and you have died with him, you've been buried in baptism, and you've been raised to new life. You have your life in Christ. That happened. And now your life is hidden in Christ. Now this is the life just as you receive Christ Jesus Lord. Continue to live in him, rooted. You remember? Okay, built up and strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. There we go. We keep going with those, those hand motions. He says, this is what you're doing. Your whole life is engulfed in Christ. And then he says, and when he appears, you will appear with him in glory. Now, I got to just pause right here because there's such a cool little side note. It's a whole sermon in its own. But it's talking about someday when he comes back, when he appears, how we will appear with him in glory. Now, many of us raised in church, we talk about someday in glory, glory, like glory land, like glory is a place. But when you begin to understand this concept that we have salvation and then his spirit is working about transformation, which we call sanctification. And then when it's all done, because he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And then it goes from salvation, sanctification to glorification. That at that point, there's something that God completes this, this transformation in our lives. In Psalm 8, it says, he crowns us with honor and glory. What does that mean to have this glorification? J.I. Packer stated it this way. We become sinless creatures in deathless bodies. What a beautiful picture. Sinless creatures in deathless bodies. And he says, and you will. You will appear with him that, that way one of these days. So here's who you are. All of Christ. He's raised, you're raised with him. You're hidden with him. And you will appear with him. Past, present, and future. And so he says, you are. So now be. This is who you are in Christ. So what you've done. Now because of that, now be. Now that there's this, this life, there's this transformation. In, in Colossians 1.10, we looked at this weeks ago, where it talks about how it's, it's that we are to, to live a life worthy of Christ and to do all the things that would please God. It's this life transformation. And so he, he wants us to, to understand that. So in Colossians chapter 3, he says again, set your heart on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. Set your heart, your affections, your, your passions, your priorities, those things that are important to you. Set those on things above. And your mind your perspective, the way you think, your outlook, your worldview, your, you know, 
your morals, your values, your ethics, set them on things above. And if there's one word that I think he's trying to help us understand, and this would be the one word, if I, if I had to retitle this sermon, it would be this one word. It's like he's saying, because of who you are in Christ, the way you live ought to be, and here's the word, distinctive. In fact, will you just say that with me? Distinctive. He says, you are Christ's people. You are to be distinctive, distinctive, different, not like you once were. You're distinctive now, not like the rest of the culture is. You're distinctive now, not like the world is. You're getting your cues not from the culture, but from your Christ. You're getting your cues not from the world, but from the word. And he just wants them to understand that because of who they are in Christ, because of the goodness and grace of Christ, it transforms our life. And we are now to become who he's created us to be, who he's redeemed us to be. And let me point something out here that he's talking specifically to those who are followers of Jesus. And he's, he's trying to help them understand that they are distinctive from the world. His goal is not to try and get the world to live by biblical standards. His goal is to try to get Christ followers to live by biblical standards. So many times in the church, capital C, big C church, Christianity, we're trying to get America to become biblical and godly. Listen, if they're not followers of Jesus, how in the world do we ever expect them to follow biblical principles? And all the while, the church is being ruled by the principles of the world. We've got it completely backwards. We, as the followers of Jesus, ought to be following the principles of the word, not the world. We ought to look more like Christ, not our culture, and understand that those who are not followers of Jesus, we can't hold them to his standards. That's the reality there. And so he gets really clear, and he says some very strong words to the followers of Jesus. He's not condemning Rome. He's not bad-mouthing Nero. He's not slamming Colossae. He's saying, brothers and sisters, followers of Christ, redeemed by Jesus, there's a distinctive life that we are to live. So he says this, verse 5, put to death. That is a strong, strong phrase. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Put it to death. Notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, hey, why don't you try to just not do as much as you used to? Just kind of back off. Go a little more with moderation on some of these former things. You know, just kind of, just just save them for special occasions. You know, a couple times a year, maybe. You know, just, and we can justify. No, he says, put it to death. There's some things that you as a follower of Jesus, you need to put to death. You need to execute these things. Last week, we talked about how how all of the, the, the rules and the regulations that stood opposed to us, Christ nailed those to the cross. Like these things that condemn us, he nailed them to the cross. And now he comes along and says, and there's some lifestyle, there's some actions, there's some things that you do that you need to nail to the cross as well. Right. The law, that which stood opposed to you has been nailed to the cross. Now there's some stuff you need to nail to the cross and be done with it. Have it gone. 
And this is where you see how unbelievably relevant that in some ways, nothing has changed in 2,000 years on a different continent with different people, different time, and a different place. He says, and I don't think this is an exhaustive list, but it's reflective of his culture and of our culture. He says, things like this that you need to put to death. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires and greed, which is idolatry. It seems as if nothing has changed. Because if, if we, followers of Jesus, get our cues on our sexuality from our culture, our culture, our world, seems to say that Self-satisfaction and fulfillment sexually and all this is the highest good in all of life. I mean, our media is swamped with it. Our entertainment, our books, our movies, our music. And I'm not just talking about that nasty rap music. Country music. It's all. It's all of it. Advertisements and, and television shows. Like, like sexual fulfillment is the highest good in life. And it's not just that. I mean, it's... It, it's, it's in our politics and it's in our culture. It's in all of this. The sexual immorality in our day is not only accepted, it's expected and it's celebrated. That's the culture we live in. And if you're like, really? Wake up. Hello. And he says, listen, but you're different. You are the people who've been redeemed by the grace, given new life. He said, well, yeah, but, you know, everybody and, and this whole thing and, and what, you know, it's my life and, and I should be able to do this. It's my body and consenting adults and, and it's just kind of expected and everything. Okay, 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 okay. You know what you're hearing? The message from our world. Paul writes to the church in Corinth. <laughs> and when it came to sexual immorality, Corinth, the city of Corinth, uh, made America kind of look prudish. I mean, it was like, pretty pervasive. Look at the words he writes to the church in Corinth. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? Listen to these words. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, Honor God with your body. That's a message you won't hear from our culture. That's a message you won't get in our world. That's a message you won't always get in our churches. But the word of God says this. The world does one thing, but you're to live a distinctive life. This whole thing, well, it's, we're consenting adults and it's my body. You know, no, no, you were bought at a price. Just as I expect, not a lot of amens there. Okay, so he says, listen, and it's not just that. It's, just, it's your thoughts, you know, the, the evil and the lust and your, your mindset and your, your, your attitudes and all that. And, and then he goes on and he talks about this greed and these things, idolatry that, that we put in place of, of God and how we use our finances and, and the generosity to help out those who are poor and, and to not make money the, the thing that we go after so important and that there's higher priorities, all of these things. He says, listen, you used to do that. Verse 7. Is that where we are? Verse 7. Uh, um, you used to walk in these ways. In the life you once lived. 
But you're distinctive now, remember? That was so last lifestyle. That was before you knew Christ. That was before you were redeemed. That's before you're transformed. Remember, you're raised in him. You're hidden in him and you will appear in him in glory. So live that way. And he continues on and he just goes for round two. First, he says, there's some things in your life. You just need to put them to death. Doesn't matter if everyone says it's okay. Doesn't matter if your parents say it's okay. Doesn't matter if your friends say it's okay. Doesn't even matter if your spouse. There's some things you know. If Jesus says it needs to be put to death, then put it to death. And then he goes one step further, verse nine, verse eight. But now you must rid yourself of all such things as these. And then he goes into another list. Now, again, these aren't exhaustive lists, but he's saying, I'm trying to help you understand what a distinctive life looks like in our world. In this, what does he call it in Philippians? This dark and deprived, corrupt generation that we live in. He says, and I want you to get rid of some things. Now, There's really probably two kinds of people here today. Those of you who save things and those of you who throw things away. Those of you who save things, some of your family and friends and spouses call you hoarders. We call ourselves responsible. Frugal. You never know when we might need that again. And those of you who throw things away, we call you wasteful and irresponsible. And, and, and I know this because I'm married to one, and, 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 and she always says, Bob, get rid of, can't, let me clean out your closet. I said, no, 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 this is my space, and I, I might need that, and you, you never know when. And, and, and I look at her and say, you throw everything away. And, and she said, well, it needs to go, and it's, it's cathartic for her. But yes, when it was a refund check from the IRS and it got thrown away, that's not cathartic, these, these kind of things. But he comes along and he says, spiritually now, it's no longer time to be a hoarder. It's not time to be a saver. There's some things that you've had, and maybe they were from a former life, but now you need to rid these. You need, these need to go to the landfill. These need to be flushed. These need to be incinerated. You need to get rid of these things. And again, it's not an exhaustive list, but look, it's as relevant to us today and maybe more so than ever. Rid yourself of such things as these, anger and rage malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips, and do not lie to each other. Wow, that's as if it was written this week. We live in a world that is increasingly more and more hostile. He says, but you, followers of Jesus, you live a distinctive life. You don't live that way. And this rage, do you not remember that Part of the fruit of the Spirit is self-control and malice, this desire to harm, to hurt, to injure, not physically, maybe worse. A reputation, some feelings, slander, defaming someone's character. So that's how our world operates. That's how our news agencies operate. That's how social media operates, but not the people of God. We're to be distinctive. And then he goes a a little step further. And filthy language from your lips. All week I've debated how hard do I come down on this. And there's some stuff right now I'm still debating in my head, so we'll see where this goes. 
what I don't understand. Some of my brothers and sisters in the Lord who seem to think it's a badge of their freedom in Christ to be cussing Christians, swearing saints. You say, well, but that, that's, that, you know, it's not a salvation. No, it's not a salvation deal. Do you think it honors the Lord, though? Is it necessary? I, I just, I don't get it. And can I just, like, really get into the face of some of you brothers and sisters who are Republicans? If you say, use, bumper stickers, signs, anything that say, let's go, Brandon. Can I just say this? Unless you have a grandson on the soccer field whose name is Brandon, you have watered down dropping the F-bomb on who the Lord says in 2 Timothy, we are to pray for. And there might be some bumper stickers you need to peel off today. Because while it might be cute for the world, We are distinctive people of God. And it goes beyond that. All right, I better stop. But he says, listen, do you not understand who you are in Christ? There's some things you need to put to death. There's some things you need to get rid of. And then he goes on in verse 10. Since you have, past tense, you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. You've taken some stuff off and you've put in some stuff. He says, you're Mr. Rogers. You know Mr. Rogers. He comes in the door. He's been outside. Now he's inside. He's been at work. Now he's at home. He takes off his jacket. He puts on his cardigan sweater. He takes off his outside shoes, his work shoes. He puts on his sneakers. That's what it is. He takes some stuff off. He puts some things off. That was outside. Now you're inside. You're at work. Now you're at home. And he's come along and says, yes, it's even farther than that. You were dead, but now you're alive. There are some things that are okay to wear when you're dead because dead people wear these things. But you're no longer dead in your sins and transgressions. You're alive in Christ. You, you, you take off these grave clothes and replace them with grace clothes. I think of that beautiful picture of, of when Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. And Lazarus comes out and, and in, in cha- John chapter 11 says, the dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, Take off the grave clothes and let him go. Take off our grave clothes, that dead life that we used to live, and live in the grace clothes of Jesus Christ. And verse 10, and having put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge, in the image of its creator. Being renewed. This is that ongoing process. We're all taking these next steps in our spiritual journey. We're all growing. We're all becoming. He's continuing his transformation work in our lives. Becoming. Like we were created in the image of God. Sin and the fall and our lives, all that, Mars, all that. And now we're being recreated in the image of Christ. Becoming a little bit more like him all the time. And then again, I, I don't have time to go into this one, but you know, again, in our divided world, their world was divided. Verse 11, he says, here there's no division. There's no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. He says, okay, all right, so look at this. 
You've been raised with Christ. Your life is now hidden in Christ. You will appear with him in glory. That's an amazing thing. You have put to death some things. You've gotten rid of some things. You've taken off some things, and you've put on some things. And then he says, therefore, therefore, with all that in mind, and this is what I think is such a pivotal verse here, because otherwise it looks like he's just going back into the law, which if you were here last week, he says the law, the law of this list, this legalistic rituals, and all, that, that's not going to do it. He's not just reinstating a law. He's not just giving a list of these are all things you can't do, trying to steal your life. He wants to remind him. Therefore, he says, I want to remind you of your distinctiveness. And look at these three distinctions he says to them. Therefore, you are God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. You're chosen. You're holy. And you are dearly dearly loved. I don't know if you remember the, the movie uh, years ago called The Help. In the movie The Help, there's this beautiful scene where um, Abilene is talking to this little girl. She's a nanny. And she says to this little girl, you is smart, you is kind, and you is important. And Paul comes along to these followers of Jesus and he reminds them, you is chosen, you is holy, and you is dearly loved. Amen. There's something about being chosen. It's not, well, I got stuck with you guys. <laughs> no, I chose you. And, and holy? Holy is about being set apart for God's purposes. And, and, and dearly loved. In John Ortberg's book uh, years ago called um, Love Beyond Reason, he writes on this whole concept of being chosen. I just want to read this. He said, to be loved is to be chosen. The sense of being chosen is one of the very best gifts love bestows on the beloved. And then he writes a story that a, a woman wrote. She wrote this. I grew up knowing I was different, and, and I hated it. I was born with a cleft palate. And when I started school, my classmates made it clear to me how I looked to others. A little girl with a misshapen lip, a crooked nose, lopsided teeth, and garbled speech. And when schoolmates asked, what happened to your lip? I'd tell them I'd fallen and cut it on a piece of glass. Somehow it seemed more acceptable to have suffered an accident than to have been born different. I was convinced that no one outside of my family could ever love me. There was, however, a teacher in the second grade, and we all adored her, Mrs. Leonard by name. She was short, round, happy, a sparkling lady. Annually, we had a hearing test. Mrs. Leonard gave the test to everyone in the class, and finally, it was my turn. Well, I knew from past years that as we stood against the door and covered one ear, the teacher sitting at her desk would whisper something, and we would have to repeat it back, things like, the sky is blue, or do you have new shoes? I waited there for those words that God must have put into her mouth. Those seven words that changed my life. Mrs. Leonard said in her whisper, I wish you were my little girl. 
See, love confers a kind of chosenness on the one who is loved. And for ragged people, for people with misshapen spirits and crooked hearts and lopsided souls, God whispers, chosen, holy, dearly loved. We're chosen, we're holy, we're dearly loved. It says you're chosen. Now you are choosing to put on a new wardrobe. You're chosen. That's a gift. But now you're going to choose. You're going to choose to take off the old and put on the new. To put to death and to to get rid of the vices and to clothe yourself with the virtues. To, To live a life that is distinctive in this world. To, to clothe yourselves with a lifestyle that, that sets you apart. Some of you know that every year I run the Ragnar Relay, love the Ragnar Relay, 200 miles, 12 people, two sweaty vans, no sleep for 30-some hours. It's a great event. <laughs> it really is. But I always look for an opening outfit that's distinctive. This is my outfit from this year. Now, I know I'm a bit of a wallflower, and I kind of blend in. I want something to, to set me apart, something that's distinctive. Now, when he's talking about an outfit that's distinctive, he's not talking about being weird, or being odd. Something that's different, that's attractive, that's winsome, that's beautiful, that's puzzling. So he talks about this, this new outfit, this distinctive outfit. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with, and look at this, compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Do you think if we lived that way, we would be a bit distinctive in this world? To have a heart of compassion the way Christ did as he saw the crowds and he had compassion on them, not judgment and anger, compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And kindness, one of the fruit of the spirit is this kindness. In Ephesians says, be kind one to another in a world that is so mean that there ought to be kindness from distinct people. Humility, where there's this egos and pride and my stuff and my rights, this humility like Christ who is gentle and humble in spirit and who humbled himself and became obedient. To follow that example and to be gentle like gentleness, like 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 Clydesdale, this strength under control with unbelievable power, but gentle and patient. Patience. Distinctive. To clothe ourselves that way so that the outfit of our lives cause people to say, what? That's different. Not like the world. Not like the culture. Not getting defensive, not being judgmental, not being condemning, you know, not canceling, not being offended by everything. In fact, he goes on to say in verse 13, bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Oh, and in case you're not sure to what level I'm talking about, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Last week we looked at that where he says, the Lord who has forgiven all your sins. So, So listen. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion and kindness, humility and gentleness and patience. Bear with each other 
And forgive one another. Whatever grievances you have against one another, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And then he caps it all off in verse 14. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds your hearts, binds them all together in perfect unity. Put on love. It's like the first fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Corinthians, now abide these three, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Love so that there's unity. It's what Jesus prayed for in John 17. That there's unity in the new community. Maybe this binds them all together, or not all these virtues. It binds them all together. It's this community of the, the distinctive, holy, chosen, beloved body of Christ. To live that way. Now, I am so far out of time that I got to stop. Wrap it up. Thanks. I'll, I'll get to that, Sabine. Thanks for, for the help. <laughs> it's like my mom sitting here in the front row. Wrap it up, Bob. You're done now. Okay. <laughs> Who we are in Christ must translate to how we live in the world. We have been raised with him. Our life is hidden in him. We will appear with him in glory. We are holy, chosen, dearly loved. And here's a challenge I want to toss out to you. And listen, I'm not trying to be the Holy Spirit in your life. I'll let God's word and his Holy Spirit do that work. I, I really, and if I, if I was that way, Father, forgive me and please forgive me. I'm not trying to do that. But here's the challenge I want to throw out to us as God's people is that we would spend some time, and maybe we start in this passage with hearts just overflowing with humility and gratitude for God's work in our lives. And in response to that, say, God, are there some areas in my life that I need to put to death? This list wasn't you know, all-inclusive. Maybe there's some other things. God, are there some areas in my life, some things in my life that I, I need to get rid of? I mean, it's such a former life thing. I don't even know why I'm holding on to it. I've got to put this to death. And God, are there some things that I need to clothe myself with? A little more compassion. An approach with kindness and gentleness. Are, are there some other things? I just want to be transformed into the likeness of Christ. And Jesus, these are hard words, but they're words from your love, because we have been chosen by you, set apart for your purposes, so dearly loved, and you've called us to live a life that is distinctive in this world where we will shine like stars, be like salt and like light. So I pray that we would willingly open our hands and our lives to say, God, Make me more like your son, Jesus Christ. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, for some of you, this is your last week here at Cornwall. Uh, <laughs> grateful that you are here.